Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. I'm Lucas. And I'm Grant. And if you're joining us for the very first time, welcome. We are so glad you are here to discover some new to us. Some new and great music. And if you like what you hear, then great. Leave a like. Leave a subscription on whatever platform you're listening on. Leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. If you want to get some more information about the podcast, check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Good Music Podcast. You can also request your favorite artists for us to review and we just might do it we make it a point every month to do a user or a user whoa a listener requested episode every month so you guys can tailor this podcast because you're the listeners and if you want to get episodes and exclusive access to our bad music podcast where we talk about the worst songs from every artist every episode which is a lot of fun then go down to the description of every episode. There's a link to a Spotify. Not a Spotify. What am I doing? I just stole your spiel. There's a link to a Patreon page. It's our Patreon page. And just for a few bucks a month, you can get access to those things. And we had a real whopper of an episode last episode. So I'm not even going to mention it because I don't want to waste any more time, any more of you guys' time talking about Dream Theater. We're both obsessed, so we're not even going to open that can of worms. We're talking about a band from an era that we've hardly touched on the podcast. Who are we talking about? We are going back to the 50s. We've only been to the 50s twice. That was when we did Elvis and when we did Miles Davis. Oh, yeah, Uh, Miles Davis. I was wondering what the other one was. Yeah. So uh, this is really exciting. We're going to be talking about the Everly Brothers. I know nothing. (laughs) <laughs> I figured that's, probably not. That's my first thought. Flat out five. I don't know a single thing. I've never even heard of them. Okay. Well, so I'll, also, I'll also spoil my first thought that I knew who they were, but I could not have told you a single thing about them. The only thing that I knew was that they're very important. Didn't even know that. So, I like, I, I understood that they're one of those, like, old time revered artists but like I didn't know why I didn't know what kind of music they made I figured that they were like just like country folk is that true I guess I guess that's that's where their roots are but that's not what they did necessarily um they are part of that initial wave of the first wave of rock and roll oh and um so as the name suggests, the Everly brothers are indeed brothers. We've got uh, the older brother, Don Everly, and his younger brother, Phil. As far as everyone else that played on their albums, it was never a set lineup. It was literally just whoever was in the studio to make it happen. I guess they're both um, 
guitar vocals. Yes. Um, Don was the more of the lead vocalist as well as the lead guitar player. And, uh, and Phil was more of the harmonizer and more of the rhythm player. Although again, like, like crazy guitar leads is not really their thing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just, it's more about like almost like melodic rhythm playing and straight rhythm playing. But the Everly brothers came around in 57. That was kind of when they first entered onto the scene. And the thing that they really added to rock and roll and really just popular music in general is this idea of, uh, of a group harmonized vocal approach. It was one of those things that the more I looked at it, the more I found that that was really not normal in pop music up to that point. Think about the other big rock and roll pop artists of that time. Yet you you had background vocalists, but not in the sense to where like, like think of like Ray Charles, you had Ray Charles and the Ray Letts. The Ray Letts were not considered like equal members of the band. They were backing vocalists, mm-hmm. people whose sole purpose was to just be in the background and sing with Phil and Don, even though yes, Don was the, was the leader of the two. It was very much seen as a equal partnership as far as vocal like they all they like 90 percent of the time sing in tandem with each other wow phil phil was not a background member he was one of the everly brothers and so this idea that members within the band can have equal importance and yet also have multiple vocalists singing together that was pretty much a concept unheard of in popular music until them that's and, so weird. Yeah. And <laughs> we also have to say that the Everly Brothers are one of the reasons we even have the Beatles in the first place. Straight from Paul McCartney's mouth is that if it wasn't for the Everly Brothers, there would be no Beatles. What do you mean by that? I mean, because they're all equal partners in well, the Beatles. They said that their vocal approach would not have been what it would have been had it not been for them. This because you listen, to especially a lot of early Beatles. It's a lot of everyone singing together, lots of harmonies, lots of um, gang vocal, like to where it's not just like one person singing lead. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as the fact that you know you can you can have John sing some, you can have Paul sing some. Everyone usually at all times is is vocally helping with their own unique parts to support the lead vocalist. That, I mean... That's quite... Uh, yeah, that's quite profound. I mean, and if you listen to the set that we have today, like when I first turned it on, I'm like, oh, this is very, very Beatles. This is very yeah. Beatlemania. Oh, yeah. And it's pretty much like Beatlemania. I would say that the Everly Brothers is probably the biggest influence on the early Beatles music. Wow. Wow. Okay. Like, of all the things that contributed to the Beatles starting in that early sound, um, I would say the Everly's probably are the biggest factor in that. Obviously, the other, like, more raw rock and roll, Elvis and Chuck Berry and 
all that as well as Motown was a big factor in that as well. But the the melodies that the Beatles would write and especially just the way that they sang, that all comes from the Everleys. Hmm. Yeah, I mean when you say when you say rock and roll, your mind doesn't immediately go to something that sounds like this, but no, and and but that was the thing. Is the more I listened to them, I was just like, you know what? Yeah, this this really was rock and roll because rock and roll was a very different thing. It wasn't twelve bar blues as twelve bar blues based as other rock and mm-hmm. roll in the fifties was. It wasn't as as energetic, but it did still have that rebellious spirit to it mm-hmm. of of just like you know, it's it's not conforming to the other rules of pop and even country which is where they started they started mm-hmm. off as a as a country act they didn't mm-hmm. they didn't release or record it but that was they had been uh child entertainers because they were originally part of a group called the everly family because their father was a uh was a professional country musician now, he wasn't anyone that like got any record deals but he mm-hmm. would make a, a good portion of the living going around to honky tonks and playing at live events. Oh, that's kind of cool. And he was the one that, that gave them their musical. Uh, it was uh, Ike Everly. He was the one that gave them their initial spark to love and get into music. Mm-hmm. He taught them how to, how to sing, how to play guitar, how to harmonize with each other. Um, Cause harmony was a big thing in country. That was Country and folk was kind of where the idea of of harmony and group singing uh, comes comes from. Not to say that they invented it, because I don't like to make sweeping statements like that. But that was a normal thing at that time, mm-hmm. where it wasn't in in rock and roll mm. or in just the normal pop of that time. So what they did was they took what they had learned as country musicians and then put it through the uh through the translator of rock and roll and that's how you get the unique sound of the everly brothers and one of the cool what what was the thing that initially alerted me to their existence was when i was looking at the rock and roll hall of fame and i was curious to know who are the first people to get in like what was the very first class and you look at it, and it's, the, it's people you expect. Elvis, Ray Charles, Chuck Berry, uh, James Brown, Jerry Lee Lewis, like kind of all the iconic 50s greats. Yeah, yeah. And then I saw that the Everly Brothers were there. So the Everly Brothers were in the very first class of inductions into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wow. And I was just like, I don't, I was like, I don't know who these guys are. What year was that? That was 85. Because I was expecting like to see like maybe the Beatles or the Rolling Stones, and then I did the math. And I was like, it wasn't even twenty five years since their first records came out. I think the Beatles got in in like eighty eight, because that was the first year that they were eligible. Wow. But yeah, That's they, to think about. Wow. Their critical acclaim and their influence on just music in general was so strong that they were considered to be as important getting in that first wave as people like Elvis. Mm -hmm. So that's the whole, that's the whole draw of this episode is what's the big deal. 
and uh, the and then the big thing that alerted it was um, I had I had seen the headline that Don Everly had passed away last year, and mm. all these tributes from all these different musicians started flooding in, particularly one from Paul McCartney. He he wrote like a big paragraph about it, and. I was just like, oh, okay, well, there's the Everleys again. I still don't know who they are. I even like Googled to see like they did they have number one hits? Oh, oh yeah, they had they had four. And I was like, hmm, I'll have to keep my eye on and this could be a good episode to do. And then I watched the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony from this year. And they did the uh they did the in memoriam section. And, you know, of course, the the big one that they focused on was Charlie Watts. And that was what they started it with. But then they ended with Don Everly. And they, like, did this little montage of him and Phil playing. And I started hearing the song, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know they did that song. Oh, I know that song. And it started to, like, click on me. I was just like, okay. And then uh, Brandy Carlisle and her band came up and, and did an acoustic version of All I Have to Do is Dream. It was a beautiful rendition. And that was, and in that moment, I was just like, I'm going to do an episode on it. I'm going to do it quickly because mm. I'm now really realizing like, okay, these guys are good. Yeah. And obviously the entire music industry adores them. So yeah, they're definitely yes. important. It's, this is, this is something that it's like, I, I love having these opportunities to kind of just go into something. I was just like, I have no idea what I'm about to get into, but I know that it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's nice for me to, to just go into the unknown a little bit and get into stuff that I know I should know and to kind of almost like correct a oversight. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I guess that's kind of the whole, the whole idea of the podcast is just trying something new. Mm-hmm. So, so they yeah. they started out in the family band doing the country thing. How did they get to the point where it was just them and they were doing rock stuff? How did, so, how did their career kind of kickstart? So they ended up. Uh, so they they were born in Kentucky, moved. They moved around a lot growing up, but they kind of settled in Nashville. Mm. And uh, eventually, they just decided, "Hey, we want to we want to do things just the two of us." And they wanted to get a record deal. And they tried for a while to get a country deal, and just nobody was picking them up because they're just like, "It's it's nothing like unlike what we have already been getting." And especially by the time you get to the mid '50s, this is when like artists like Johnny Cash were starting to come in, and country in of itself was changing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so finally, they uh, they decided, you know, and right about that time was when rock and roll was exploding, and they were like, "Hey, this this sound is really cool. We could we could do this." And so they finally got a record deal, and "Bye Bye Love" was the first song that they got handed to them, and they recorded that, and it immediately went to number one. And it was just like, wow. "Okay, I guess this is what we're doing now." Like it was a it was a pretty instant success once they started recording. There wasn't really a uh, uh, a lead up to it. Yes, it was a long time of performing and honing their craft up to that point. But once they started like officially 
recording as the Everly Brothers. Like, there wasn't a thing like, oh, took them three albums, but then they finally hit it. It was a pretty instant success once they got into the business. Wow. So it really was unlike anything ever heard before, after all. It really was. And, um, I mean, just all of the testimonials that I've seen from other musicians saying, hearing Neil Young, who, as far as people that have experience harmonizing with groups, I mean, just look at Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, or his work with Buffalo Springfield. Like, that's Neil Young is someone that has a lot of experience with learning how to sing and harmonize with people. And he said that his goal every single time that he uh, was in a group and he had to do vocal work and harmony was that he would go, we got to capture that Everly Brothers magic because it's the greatest harmonies that have ever existed. And he said, no matter how many times he tried it, he could never get it. Wow. And it's, it really is a magical combination of voices. I mean, Um, it helps that they're brothers. Yeah. And that's the thing that I've heard people say is just like, the how good it is can only happen when you've got brothers because you've got people that have the same inflection they have the same timbre they've sung with each other literally since they were kids and they they instinctively know each other so well that they're gonna match with each other instantly they're naturally the simon and garfunkel level of synchronization Yes. And really, you can hear also, that's another group that you can tell took so much influence from the Everly's. Mm-hmm. There's times you're listening to the Everly's and you're like, oh, this is this Simon and Garfunkel? Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's, it's very obvious. Yeah, I, as, soon as, as soon as the first song started playing, I was like, I know this isn't Simon and Garfunkel. But Man, it just, it is so reminiscent. Very, like, folky, but there's a little bit of rock and roll in there. And mm-hmm. it's, there's two voices that are incredibly tight and synchronized. And the acoustics are, like, the only thing that's really backing things up. It's just, it. it's it's so weird that we talked about Simon and Garfunkel being such a big and influential band and how the Beatles are like, obviously the monolith that they are. And yet you can point back to these guys and be like, this is the reason. Yeah. It's, it's really cool to go back and, Mm -hmm. and see who's behind all of the, because I mean, as far as like people's awareness today, like how you were saying, like, I've never even heard of them. And I'm like, I kind of knew they existed, but I couldn't have told you a single song that they did. And yeah. like, that's that's kind of where the Everly sit. They, for people in the know, they're just like, oh yeah, they're the greatest of all time as far as vocal and vocal harmonies. But they're they're not in the in the normal public consciousness, like most people that would know them were people that remembered them when they were big in the late 50s, early 60s. Okay. They had a bit of a short window of like being really popular. I would say 57 to 62 was like their prime moment. 
did they quit after 62? No. Although they did take a year off because they went to go serve in the military. That'll do it, yeah. But, uh, and then when they came, the big, the biggest thing that stood in the Everly Brothers' way from long-term success was the fact that they weren't songwriters. Ah. So they didn't really bring anything to songwriting. But then again, but then again, yeah. But then again, like, you have to remember that before the Beatles, that was a normal thing. So I guess Nashville was already well-known as it is today as being the music city. Yeah. That's why they ended up there. Mm Mm-hmm. And so you, uh, I mean, you look at the other artists of the 50s, you know, just about nobody that was big in the 50s really came into the 60s able to adapt with the changes. You were as good as whatever songwriting team you were paired with. And um, their initial songwriter team that they had that recorded all of their late 50s stuff, those are the best songwriters that they had with them. And they, they weren't doing covers necessarily. Like the songs that people were writing, they were going to the Everleys to them. Like it wasn't until they got into the 60s that they did what just about what everyone else did, which is just cover everyone. Hmm. But okay. uh, yeah, that was that was the norm of the 50s. And it's a big, a big reason why they didn't, a lot of them didn't survive was because it's, you know, when you're relying on outside songwriters that are also not just writing for you, but writing for other people, you know, that well is going to eventually dry up. Or let's Mm -hmm. say that you've got really great chemistry with a certain pair of songwriters like the Everly's did, but then you change record labels. Mm. Well, the people that you were initially writing with, they stayed with the label that you were originally with. And now you've got new songwriters that are not writing you as good of hits. Because they just don't know how to write for you. Yeah. And that was, that was the thing that, that stopped the Everly's momentum was when they, uh, was when they got a record deal, a different record deal. And they, they switched to what was considered to be a more prestigious label but it ended up uh, hurting them because they uh, they lost that chemistry with their original songwriters. That really sucks. But I guess they probably made a, a bit more money there. Yeah. And then you also got to factor in drugs. <laughs> it's it's one of the classic things. Yeah. It's they they fell into the uh, the Johnny Cash issue where they were being prescribed medicine that should have been illegal substances. Wow. Because that was how Johnny Cash got started on drugs, was that he was taking um, uh, pills that would keep him awake longer. Because back in those days, like, people weren't flying in jets and having, you know, tour. there weren't tour buses, really. It was... You know, you had to drive yourself and your van to wherever you were going. And people did not economically plan tours to where you would, in a logical line, go, you know, okay, you're going to start in New York, and then you'll go down to Boston, and then to Baltimore, and, you know, make a logical line through cities. Back in the 50s, it was just like, okay, one night you're going to be in New York, 
Next night, you're going to be in Dallas. And then after that, you're going to go up to Omaha. Then after that, go to Los Angeles and then to Atlanta. And you were expected to be there the next day. And so people would literally 36 hours at a time just trying to get to where they're going and not fall asleep at the wheel. And so a lot of them got hooked on to essentially what was speed and what was meth, but that it, it helped you to not be tired and helped you to stay awake. So that way you could, you could fit your body could physically do everything that your tour promoters were expecting you to do. Wow. It was a savage system. And that was what, um, particularly Don, he got hooked on those, uh, on those speed pills just from, just out of necessity, just to be able to let his body get through that. But of course, you know, it, it worked right there in the immediate present, but long-term effects, obviously, it started to destroy his body. And thank goodness for economic tour schedules and airplanes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, wow. I didn't I did not I did not know that. That's quite intense. But yeah, I guess and Bill kind of dealt with it. Uh Better, at first. Please. And so and so the next thing that happened was that once the once the drugs came in, once the hits dried up, once it became harder and harder to stay relevant, especially once the Beatles broke through mm-hmm. and the entire music landscape changed, um, it was all of a sudden now there was this immense amount of pressure as well as this immense amount of dissatisfaction of of constantly putting out new music, but then anywhere they're going, everyone's chanting, just play Bye Bye Love. We don't want to hear the new stuff. And they're, they started to really get bogged down by the fact that it's just like, we're, we're only going to be remembered for a couple of songs that we wrote. Mm. And that's, that started to take a toll on both of them. And of course, you know, they, they took it out on each other. Oh, wow. Okay. So I figured they were uh, exempt from that, you know, being brothers and everything. Well, I'm, I'm sure that you, as you know, in, uh, in our history of music here that sometimes brothers fight the most fearsome because they more than anyone know how to piss each other off. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, just look at Oasis. That's one of the nastiest and most volatile feuds in music history. And and it's between two brothers. They literally hate each other's guts. Yeah, but um, look, yeah. look at look at Creedence Clearwater Revival. That's another one that the main uh, fracture between was between uh, the uh, the Fogarty brothers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yes, sometimes you'll get an Eddie and Alex Van Halen situation or a a Dimebag and Vinnie Paul, but other times it's the brothers. Uh, think back to Dire Straits with the Nopplers. Their their relationship ended up going sour because of their involvement together in music. Interesting. So they didn't they didn't like uh, 
they didn't take on the whole us against the world type of perspective like no one messes with my brother but me kind no. of and even again, though I, it was everyone I, else screwing them over again I think that a big part of that was the drugs yeah the drugs never put anyone in a in a right state of mind yeah and so um and so they they uh they pretty much hobbled through the sixties and then in the seventies they uh they split up for a while had a had a pretty significant reunion in the eighties, not in the way of like huge album sales, but it was kind of like one of those like for for music historians just like, oh, look at that, the Everleys are back together mm-hmm. and then um and then they they were they were able to to relatively stay together until Phil's death in 2012. And then Don just passed away this last year. He was 84. That's a, that's a good long life. Yes. They've, they both lived pretty good lives. Phil died in his early seventies. That's, that's a bit shorter than mm-hmm. what you would want, but 84, that's a, that's a pretty good time. Yeah. You know, they, they, Okay. Yeah, they got to they got to live to see the their influence what it what it truly meant, and I think that time has been good to the Everly Brothers because again the people that are in the music business they all understand how important the Everlys are even if the public at large does not know who they are. I think that they can at least look and say you know what we did. Uh, we literally planted the seeds of the entire musical revolution of the 60s. Yeah, yeah. That's not something just anybody can say. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty significant musical revolution. Yeah. I mean, you know, was there really a bigger one than the Beatles? No. So, yeah. Except the Everly's... <laughs> the Everleys are super important. And even even in that 60s period, there is some very interesting things. There are moments in those 60s albums where they where they experiment. Oh, good. And there's times where it's really cool. You're just like, oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. This is really cool. And then there's other times where you're just like, okay, that was a bad idea. <laughs> But you can you can feel in the sixties that they have they don't know what they need to be. But mm-hmm. there is a point in the mid to late sixties where had they gotten there sooner or had they not lost the momentum from their initial glorious period, that they these could have been hit records. There's there's a couple of records that you're just like, it's this is actually really cool and it's a shame that this is something that you would probably find for $2 in a bargain bin at a record store. Hmm. And it shows that at the end, they, even if they weren't necessarily writers, they did have good instincts and they knew how to transform a song into something interesting. They just didn't always have the power to do that. And they also didn't always possess the confidence to to really go for it because every single album was a 
ha- almost had like a gimmick to it. Like, you'll have an album. This is the Everly's do a Christmas album. The next one is the Everly's sing old classic country hits. Then the next one is Everly's sing great soul hits from the 50s. Then the Everly's sing uh, great 50s rock and roll songs. And this is this is the Everly's doing uh, 60s Beatlemania, like Britpop stuff. And that was in the later stuff. In the yeah. Later years. But again, like they they made a great sounding 65 album in 68. <laughs> so it was one of those things where it's like, had this come out like three years earlier, this could have been a hit record. Mm-hmm. And it's and just like like uh, particularly their album Two Yanks in England, mm-hmm. which one of the songs from this is on there. That I guarantee most people like don't know about that album because it was right in the middle of their most unsuccessful uh, period. But that I think might be their best album. It's my favorite one that I listened to. Wow! And just about every song is really cool, and it's just like. Wow, this had this come out a couple years earlier, I think that this could have been successful because the the songs are really solid. It does some interesting, unexpected things, and it sounds good, it's mixed well. It just happened to come from an artist that everyone considered as being past their prime. And so just people I'm sure just didn't even know that it existed. Yeah. Besides, like, the small section at that time of the really diehard Everly Brothers fans that were just continuing to follow them with what they released. hmm And, yeah, so there is, there is great stuff tucked away, like, on just about every album. There's, there's at least one song where you're just like, huh okay, this is actually really cool. Even if the rest of the album is just like, okay, this is this is formulaic or this was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, but I would, I would highly recommend uh, Two Yanks in England as far as like an album. Because the, the big thing, and this is how most people were in the 50s, most of their best 50 songs were singles and they weren't on a record. Gotcha. Gotcha. But then you've also got an album like uh, Songs Our Daddy Taught Us, which was their uh, which was their second album overall. And it was considered a big uh, commercial disappointment because it was an album primarily of folk songs mm-hmm. with just vo- pretty much just vocals and acoustic guitar. There's there's no band. All the songs are very somber and very there's no upbeat songs. All of the songs are these old traditional tunes and, um, you know, there weren't any hits on it. But now everybody looks back on the album and, and they're like, this was actually ahead of its time because this, an- this kind of album anticipates the folk rock movement that came just a few years later. It's just there wasn't a market for it yet. So they were they weren't necessarily trend setting. They were kind of just ahead of the time. Yeah. They were never really in their time then, because they're either early or late. Yeah. But 
at the end of the day, they really were talented. They were obviously very talented singers, but also um, they knew how to arrange because usually they, cause you know, they came up with their own harmonies. Um, they came up with their uh, – Don was very much inventing the way he was going to play the guitar and everything. And, um, yeah, they just there – were, there were points where they got a little bit unlucky. And I think also just they, they got battered and chewed up and spit out by the music industry. And, uh, yeah, so I think that this is a good time as any to take a break and we'll get into the songs in our next segment. Oh, yeah. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the six Everly Brothers songs we have selected for this episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to The Good Music Podcast. We just spent some time talking about the Everly Brothers and their influential career and the interesting harmonies that we're about to listen to. And now it's time to talk about the six songs for this episode, which we do every episode just so we can highlight some interesting things about the band and some other stories and things that we just wouldn't get time to talk about for the rest of the episode. If you want to listen to these songs, which I highly recommend that you do, Even if you've heard every single one of them, listening to them in this order might bring something new that you hadn't really experienced before. If you want to listen to them, down in the description of every single episode, there's a link to a Spotify playlist, which I uh, inaccurately mentioned earlier in the opening portion of this podcast. It That Spotify playlist has all of the songs from every single episode, past, present, and future. And so you want to scroll down and listen to these. And if there's other songs that you see on the way, we have an episode about that song and that band. So you'll also want to check that out as well. And without any more plugging and announcing and boring stuff that the longtime listeners probably skipped all the way through, let's get to our first song, which was referenced multiple times in the past segment, if I'm not mistaken. So what is this song, Lucas? Bye Bye Love. Bye, bye. And I need to make a quick edit. This song went to number two, not to number one. It went number one on country. I think that's where I got a little mixed up. Ah. Uh, but okay. still, going number two pop, is that's that's pretty big for your debut single. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great songs that have made it to number two and not number one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it is what it is. Number two, Bye Bye Love. It's great. We start off with that acoustic and the really tight harmonies that meld so well that we're going to hear for the whole set. Yeah. So um, did you remember, so you said you watched Get Back. I watched the last maybe hour of it. Oh, so you haven't watched the whole thing. No, I didn't watch the whole thing. Oh, there is a segment where um, John and Paul do an entire version of this in the studio, just like joking around. 
Is it in, if it's in the third episode? I probably saw it. I th- I think it's in the second. Maybe maybe in the first half of the third. I know it was for sure when they were in Apple Studios. Okay. Um, but it's a it's a pretty awesome version. So bye bye love. This is this is the song that made the Everly. So it, it seemed very appropriate to start the set here. Mm-hmm. It was the way that the rest of the world was introduced to them. And uh, this was a song that uh, was given to 30 or so other artists before getting to the Everly's. Um, I'm pretty sure that Elvis was a person that this song was given to, and he said, no, this isn't a hit. Oh, wow. That's what the most people say. They're just like, they would, the songwriter was saying, uh, they would they would ask her, do you have anything better? Hmm. <laughs> Really so I I, sh- I should I kept forgetting what their names were. So um, uh, Felice and Bodlo Bryant. No wonder I didn't remember those names. Uh, but they they were their main songwriting partners um, during uh, during those that late fifties period, that first early great period for them. Uh. Yeah, they they passed up on it and then finally were just like, here we've got these no we've got these no names that just would be grateful to get any song. Let's just have them do it. But Don said as soon as he heard it, he was just like, Oh yeah, this this uh this could be something. Hmm. Also, um uh, remember when you listened to Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water? Yeah. There's actually a live version of this song on that album. That they did. Yeah. So again, with the uh, another tie to Simon and Garfunkel. Wow. <laughs> All over the place. Yeah. This is this is just such a, a great simple just this is you can really hear the rock and roll in this. That mm-hmm. you've got that um You've got that that rock and roll way that they're pronouncing everything, and just the little bit of edge to the voice. Yeah, uh, that that guitar really drives well, and that was completely Don's uh, addition to the song because that that guitar intro was initially not part of it. Hmm. And um, also, I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named Chet Atkins. It rings a bell, but I don't know why. He is a he's an all time great guitar player. Um, particularly, he's um, well known as a uh, as a country guitarist as well as just a very famous uh, session player. He became very good friends with the Everly Brothers early in their career and plays guitar on a lot, lead guitar on a lot of uh, a lot of these songs. And so he plays he plays a little bit of guitar here kind of just background guitar but like when we get to stuff like all i have to do is dream and you've got that mm-hmm. like that that effects laden guitar work mm-hmm. um then that's that's coming from chet which i i knew who chet atkins was and that was that was pretty cool to uh to see that they had a relationship with him also i didn't realize that i'm, I'm going off topic here it's just something i forgot to mention the first segment that uh warren zavon got his start as a touring member with the Everly Brothers. And okay. You I don't know if don't... 
You don't know who Warren's... Oh, he's one of the great singer-songwriters of the 70s. I feel bad. I'm sorry. I'm just... I know you probably heard his biggest hit, uh, Werewolves of London. Oh, I probably have, yeah. We'll do a a Warren Zavon episode sometime. Okay. (laughs) Okay. It's just, it's a whole new world to me. Yeah, it it kind of is for me too. I'm, I'm, I'm learning more and more that I need to I need to know more about the early stages of music stuff mm. from the before the 60s mm. but I mean yeah this this song just perfectly shows how tight those harmonies are and there's such it's such a sparse arrangement also something that we'll we'll notice throughout and this isn't just indicative of all the songs in this set but really indicative of their entire discography is that few songs ever go past the two-minute mark. Yeah, wow. Like, I would say the average song length of theirs is somewhere between 2 and 220. Wow. With yeah, a, that's a good point. With a fairly decent amount of songs under one minute, usually sitting in, like, the 145 to 150 range. That's very... Um... That's bite-sized. That is bite-sized compared to some of our other episodes. Yeah, I mean, a big thing being is that there's, because the Everly Brothers aren't necessarily instrumentalists Mm -hmm. and that they didn't really focus on having, like, this big, like, band behind them, Mm -hmm. there was was never usually, like, instrumental sections. It was all, everything was vocal-driven. You know, that makes sense. Now that you mention that, that makes sense, but you don't really miss it. No, you don't really miss the instrumental part because it never overstays its welcome. It's not like they're trying to fill up time, and you're just like, "Oh gosh, another verse." Uh huh. You know, you kind of you could get away with shorter songs, I guess, during that point in music. Yeah, I mean that was that was also a, that was very common at that time, right? But I think that the way sometimes that it hurt them when they got into the '60s was that as it was expected to be a little bit more. It was almost like they had an allergic reaction to to getting things more than three minutes. Mm. And like you would have fade-ins coming in like right as things were maybe getting towards the three minute mark. And they were they would be like in the middle of a section. And it was almost like it was a rule just like, nope, can't let it get to three, just fade it out. <laughs> wow. That's kind of uh I don't know, that's kind of intense. It's kind of letting letting the uh, industry that you're trying to not let rule you, rule you. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is, I, I suppose. Yeah. You, could do the, uh, you can do the Dio long fade out. We have a, <laughs> that's going to be, that's going to forever be part of your, uh, uh, part of your verbiage. It is. Well, I mean, you know, when you, when you have every single song be a fade out that's like a minute long, it kind of sticks with you. But it works well. It's weird. It's like, and that's kind of, it's cliche, you know. But that's sort of what we're listening to now is it's like the cliche singer-songwriter, early rock and roll, acoustic, and nice harmonies that we all know and love. But, like, this was their thing. Like, this is what they brought to music. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird. it's so weird to think about it 
in those terms. And you're right. It is very rock and roll. You can imagine somebody in like their leather jacket and combed back, you know, hair doing the Elvis leg dance from Forrest Gump, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's, it's hard for us in nowadays to think of it as rock and roll just because it's like, Oh, it's not distorted. It's not, uh, it's not angsty. It's not heavy enough. Yeah. Um, but you know, for their time, the Everly Brothers had a bit of a uh, a bit of a controversy to them because it's just like, oh, they're they. It sounds so so nice on the outside, but it's got rock and roll at its heart. Ah, uh, so they were like, they were the hidden, the hidden intentions band. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit more on one of the future songs. Ooh. Well, then let's let's head that way. So, Lucas, have you ever loved somebody dot dot dot? Hold on. The song titles. No, wait, that's it. <laughs> it's just the 2007 remaster. <laughs> you tried there and it just didn't work. It just didn't work, yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, oh, here we are. Two Yanks in England. Yeah. It's so very, It's uh, very country. Their country roots are showing up here. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, this so this came out in '66, and again, this this feels like a year or two too late, because by '66, think of where like the Beatles were. This is this this is the time of like Revolver. This is the time of Eleanor Rigby and the Rolling Stones' Painted Black, and uh, the Who's a quick one while he's away. Um, like mod music and British invasion music had already moved past this sound. Mm. But, the, but the, again, this isn't this isn't bad at all. Yeah. I think that it's like you listen to this and you're just like this could have stood shoulder to shoulder with a lot of those great, uh, uh, a lot of those great bands that came yeah, this, over during that time. This fits right in with like um, uh, the Who Sell Out or something almost. It's like it's like it that, doesn't it doesn't sound like a people trying to imitate it it sounds authentic yeah yeah it's weird now a big reason for that is that um this album was was written and performed by uh, a band called the hollies which uh is a band that we could do a whole episode of themselves this this whole thing was written and performed by somebody else already. Well, not when I say perform, I mean like as the backing band. Ah, okay. like they 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 were the ones tasked with writing the new Everly Brothers record. Because remember, the Everly Brothers really didn't write that much. Mm-hmm. So it was about you know what songwriters are we going to get for this record, and so they got to actually they got to go to England and work with the Hollies, mm. and uh, the Hollies like some very famous musicians come from there, like Alan Clark and Graham Nash. And that's the same Nash of Crosby, Stills and Nash. Mm -hmm. And the Hollies in of themselves are in the rock and roll hall of fame. So this isn't just like some studio band. Like this is, this was a hit making band getting to, and, and uh, Alan Clark has said, it was just like, this was the one of the most surreal moments for me that I got to write a, a album for my heroes, the Everly Brothers. Wow. That's significant. 
Mm-hmm. And Nino, who were two up-and-coming uh, session players that got to play on this record, too. No. John Paul Jones and Jimmy Page. Oh, what? Yep. <laughs> they played on this. They. I don't know if they played on this song in particular. Um, but they played on this record. I, I can. Uh, I can. I, I'm going to see if I can figure out. That's... Yes, Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones are on this song in particular. No way. Mm-hmm. No way. That is... No way. That's so weird. But yeah. so cool. Oh, my gosh. It does yeah, not sound... It does not sound Zeppelin. <laughs> not at all. Well, it again, there very was, Everly this, this is still This is still four years before Zeppelin. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure, but... And even before uh, Jimmy Page was in the Yardbirds. Oh my! So this was this was this would have been probably one of the first things that Jimmy Page did. This the grand tapestry of music mm-hmm. just gets more and more interwoven with every episode. That's that's crazy. Maybe maybe I do need to give this. Uh, album will listen because that's got i mean there's some quite quality high quality recording here yeah and a lot of incredible musicians right yeah i mean performing on it if you once you start talking about personnel that i know you know that kind of gets me excited ah yeah okay that's that's interesting it's just it's a shame again that this uh this is an album that really time has forgotten yeah, uh, it's a uh, it's a it's an album that just again was was from a was released by a band that didn't have any momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, I guarantee it received no promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, they released two singles, uh, neither of them even charted. Mm. And it was just like, you know, there at that point there was no precedent for um, revering the people that came before because we're even still not yet at the point to where Elvis made his big comeback because that happened in 69 when he did the big television special that he all of a sudden like became super popular again yeah I guess because like you can't really revere the people that came before you when the people that came before you are still doing things. <laughs> well, there was there was no there really wasn't ever an idea of a comeback. That hadn't really happened yet in popular music. Where someone could have this glory period, have a period where they're not as successful, but then be able to come back and dominate the charts. I would again say that Elvis was probably the first musician to ever really pull that off wow yeah and that's years away and there's also there's also not really an idea of a a artist having serious longevity so by this point the just the way that people would be thinking would be like well the everly brothers used to be big they're not anymore you know 
unless they literally write the greatest song that anyone has ever heard, they're not going to get big again. Mm. At least not in this current climate and uh, yeah, not in this time period. Yeah. yeah. Which again is a shame because this this song really and the album in general is really good. There's only one song that's kind of like, oh, that kind of stinks. And that's a song called Fifi the Flea. Yeah, it sounds like it's, it's 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 definitely stinks of being a bit novelty. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, you got every album has its stinker, yeah. Well, like, then, like, most, a- of the, most of the rest of the record lands in the top 25 of their catalog. That's significant. How long of a catalog is that? I I I stopped at the end of the sixties. Um, that was about two hundred songs. Oh my! But that only totaled up to eight hours. Still though, which I, I mean, mean I've dealt songs. I've dealt with longer discographies, but it was almost more exhausting to go through this just because there were so many songs. Every two every two minutes, I had to reevaluate what I was listening to. Yeah, I can imagine that can get pretty uh, taxing. You it was always just, it was hard. It was hard to just even remember what everything sounded like. Yeah, because there was just there was just so many. So. Uh, yeah, we didn't even really talk about the song that much, but just setting the the context for it. This is right. this is just this is pure great mod music, mm-hmm. written by people that were part of the mod scene, but also at the same time, the fact that it was sung by people that influenced the the sound of of mod vocals. I think just it makes for it a perfect fit, and it's just a shame that they didn't do it more and that they didn't do it earlier. Because you would you would think that when the Beatles got big, that the Everleys could just go, well, we were responsible for that sound. We can do that. Mm-hmm. It was just the biggest thing again that they that they had going against them was the fact that they weren't writing their own songs like the Beatles were. Yeah, it really sucks, but history's been good to them, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It was just this. It was it was unfortunate during that time, and yeah. again, the what's caused that is that some great records and songs of theirs, even the people that are big Everly Brothers fans, they tend to focus on their '50s stuff. And I'm my big thing to just say is just like there is some good stuff from theirs in the '60s. It just got lost in the sands of time. Yeah. They all need to wake up, little Susie. They all need to. I was wondering if we were going to try to factor that in. I beat you at your own game. I couldn't do it. I'm I'm sorry. So, okay. The version we have here is off of the Greatest Hits compilation. Yes, because this was this was a single. This wasn't on an album. So where are we chronologically? This was actually the immediate follow-up to Bye Bye Love. And this was their actual first number one. Ah, first number one pop charts. Mm-hmm. I mean. It topped uh, 
pop and country. Wow. Also topped uh, R&B and went to number one in Canada. <laughs> well, good for them in Canada, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's certified gold. Wow. So, yeah, they, they had several uh, um, million-selling singles. I think they they had, uh, they had like six or seven million-selling songs, which is pretty good. So what's the uh, – what was the delay between – like how many weeks? Or was it just like a few days? Um, I'm not I – can, I can look here. Um, so Bye Bye Love came out in March of 57 – and Susie came out in September of 57. Oh, wow. So, six months. Why did it take so long? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Because <laughs> there wasn't any singles in between then. I yeah. think that, uh, I, I think that Bye Bye Love did have, I don't think it shot to number one. I think mm-hmm. it kind of had a. I think it had a, a bit of a a slower climb. Okay, so it's kind of, it took a couple months for the record company to be like, oh, okay, they're actually good. Mm-hmm. Let's have them back. Okay, that makes sense. So, I mean, I guess it's not. We can't talk about the whole writing process and inspiration of of any of these songs really because somebody else wrote them. Well, this was a little um, bit more. There, there. I mean, there is to a certain extent. Um, so this song was um, was also written by their their songwriting team of uh, Felice and Bordelow, mm-hmm. and um, Bordelow said that he like got this idea while he was riding home in the car from somewhere, and he literally wrote the song in about five minutes. And was just like, I got to get these to the Everly's because this will be perfect for them. That's how the best stuff is. You just write. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a a bit of a controversial song when it came out because the whole. Did you catch the reason why little Susie needed to wake up? Because they're going to get caught for being the way that they are. So they. <laughs> he he took little Susie out to a drive-in movie show and the movie was so boring that they fell asleep and they woke up and it's four in the morning. And so he's saying, wake up, we got to get home because, um, you know, your parents are going to think that I, you know, was sleeping with you. Mm-hmm. We got to go, we got to go explain ourselves. Mm-hmm. So this is the... And this just shows how how much different of a culture the 50s was. This is a song saying we did nothing wrong. This was a misunderstanding. And it was still censored and banned in several cities because it was too racy. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Because it implies that something could have happened. The whole point of this song is nothing did happen. And our reputation is going to be ruined if we don't quickly get back and explain what happened what are we going to tell your mama what are we going to tell your pop what yeah yeah my how times have changed Mm -hmm. 
I didn't even pick I didn't even pick up on the fact that nothing happened. I just yeah. assumed that something did happen and it was like, uh oh. Now we have to deal with the consequences of our actions. No, so. yeah, that's that's the funny thing is yeah, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Wow. It's kinda of funny though. That it got it got censored and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like how would how would that happen? I guess it just it wouldn't be played on the radio. Like, I guess you um, could like, still buy just, the record. Yeah, because because cert, just certain uh, uh, certain radio stations in certain cities would just be like, "Oh no, we're not going to play this." Hmm. But it was such a it was such a a hit that it didn't matter. It it took the country by storm. <laughs> Yeah, I love the line of the movie wasn't so hot. It didn't have much of a plot. We fell our we fell asleep. Our goose is cooked. Our reputation is shot. Like that's that's just a great verse. Yeah, yep, it is. And it's and, it's, and the the interesting like guitar playing here like helps it like the whole bouncy feel is like super cool. And the fact that they can stay synchronized with such mm-hmm. a weird rhythm. Like, I, if I were playing this, I would have the tendency to, like, speed up or slow down or something. Yeah, but they, they, they really did have a great groove to them. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's kind of impressive. They sound mm-hmm. like one unit. But, you know, they are brothers, so it kind of comes naturally. Yeah. So anyway, no no instrumental sections to speak of. Just all all verse and chorus. Which is okay sometimes. And uh so next next we'll talk about uh a song called Crying in the Rain. Yeah, I was trying to turn that one into a pun, but it just it wasn't it wasn't developing. Yeah, I I was gonna save you the trouble on that one. You usually I like will I'll see the opportunity and I'll be like, ooh, maybe I can talk myself in circles enough that I'll just get there. And um and it just it wasn't developing, so I just I was like, well all right, next song, here we go. Crying in the rain. So where are we chronologically now? Because this is another greatest hits record that yes, we're pulling off of. This is sixty two. This was this was okay. like right on the tail end. I would say that this was their last substantial hit because this got to number six so this was this was this was their last uh kind of hit that that did really well it's pretty big though number six yeah yeah that's that's definitely nothing to uh to sniff at so was it was it i guess we did talk about the um fact that after this they must have changed record labels no this was this was um this was after they had changed because they changed in 60 so at the initial point when they changed they still did well mainly just because you know they're uh they were still hot enough to where even if they put out stuff that wasn't as good people were still like they had another number one after they switched called kathy's clown which i think is not near as good as their other number ones Mm-hmm. But you know, there's there's a certain point you like you get big enough that uh, 
you know, you you reach a certain point where you usually get like one or two like automatic number ones. Mm-hmm. I think of like Phil Collins, like he he had several at the very beginning that didn't go number one just because he was still an untested artist. Mm-hmm. Songs that should have gone to number one, but it was just because they were like they didn't really know who Phil Collins was yet. Yeah. Then he finally hits huge, gets a couple of number ones that he deserved. And then he has a couple of songs go to number one that honestly shouldn't have. Something like a a groovy kind of love or separate lives. That's like, oh, it's good. It's not a number one song. The only reason it went number one is because he's the biggest thing in the world right now. Mm-hmm. It's There's a momentum that can push some more mediocre songs to number one. So there was still a good amount of goodwill in the Everly's because they were, you know, by 60, 61, they were still big, although they were starting to wane. But Crying in the Rain, I think, of all of their 60 singles, I think it's their best. See, it's the shortest song we got in the set, but it's got some notable instrumental moments i don't want to say like passages but that chorus is somewhat instrumental for for about three or four seconds (laughs) yeah i guess you could you could say that or that's uh that's substantial for them yeah and it's our first kind of slower song hey you know you know i always like to kind of transition a little bit on my fourth yeah that's how that's how the fourth song is. You got the first three songs that are kind of big and up tempo, and here we go. We got the ballad. It's the it's the Metallica method, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, crying in the rain. I guess this was this was with the this was with the new guys. So did the new guys write this in five minutes, or was this a slave? Well, this three? well they they didn't they didn't find a great songwriting team like they did with um with with uh felice and bordeaux oh. uh, kind of just they kind of it was kind of just like a mishmash what was really cool and what makes total sense about why this song is a step above is that it was written by freaking carol king who oh. just got into the rock and roll hall of fame earlier this year or last year now i gotta say last year because it's 2022 now Wow! Yeah, uh, and she's someone that I'm just like I gotta do an episode on her soon because after seeing her perform and and seeing all the great songs that she wrote, it was just like, gosh dang, she's a beast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I found out that she wrote the song, I was just like, okay, that makes sense because this is a really well written song. Mm-hmm. I love how it's it's like the whole lyrical idea of crying in the rain it it doesn't just it's not just a metaphor for uh like not wanting to see you cry that there's all kinds of rain and cloud and sun motifs throughout the lyrics like i thought it was just going to be like uh all the lyrics being about i don't want you to see me cry i'm going to be tough i don't want you to know you hurt me so i'll just cry in the rain like the fact that it talks about if i uh but since we're not together, I look for stormy weather to hide these tears I hope you'll never see. And how someday when my crying's done, I'm going to wear a smile and walk in the sun. 
Like I like that it it took the the idea a little bit further rather than just the the very obvious of what that means. Mm-hmm. That is pretty cool. Yeah, it's a it's a little smarter lyrically. Yeah, yeah. Ext- extending the metaphor and then still using it to make sense and make good lyrics. And it doesn't feel forced. Yeah, yeah, that that's how you that's how you make a good song with it with a new and fresh take on something that's kind of cliched. Mhm. I think that's very smart. So, why Obviously this was a step above everything else. Did they recognize that and were they just not able to like choose who wrote their songs? No, they it was such a hodgepodge of so many, you know, um, so many different people were writing for them at this point that it was just literally whoever was writing songs. They were just it was because that was the way that worked back then. Is you had these mm-hmm. these this entire building of songwriters like you think of like the Brill Building in New York, where yeah. you just have floors and floors of people that are just sitting writing songs. And you've got executives, and they'll they'll bring songs. They're just like, okay, here's a song. Here's a song. Here's a song. The executives are just like, okay, who's going to sing this? And they'll call record executives, and they'll say like, hey, you got any artists that need songs? And they'll be like, oh yeah, um, uh, little Stevie Wonder, he needs three songs to fill out his new album he's on. Uh, can you send what what songs you got? And they'll they'll just ship them out like they're selling product. Hmm. And so the Everly's got lucky that first time getting with getting able to repeatedly work with a team of songwriters. Once they leveled up, it was more like they were put in a set where it's just like, okay, we've got this vast collection of songwriters. We've got all these songs at our disposal that we can just give you. So no one's writing for them. No, not necessarily. They're just writing songs chugging them out and they pick from like a like a bin yeah and really not even necessarily they get to pick their their label gets usually gets to pick for them that's that's quite sad that's quite sad but hopefully they made some uh hopefully they made a a little bit more uh, money there if that's any consolation because you know that's probably why they changed i guess yeah, but yeah, this is this is this was a this was a great song that I again is a song that I feel like is a bit forgotten now. But mm-hmm. and let me tell you, our next song, not forgotten at all. This is I think this song is in the public consciousness. When I first yeah. heard this set, up until this point, I'm like, I have no idea who this is. I have no idea. And I even looked at the name. I'm like, the Everly Brothers? No, not a chance. I know a single song, not in the history of planet Earth, will I have known a song. And then this one came on, and I'm like, how How did I not at one point know who this is? I, I never knew this was the Everly Brothers because I obviously had no idea who they were. I never even thought, like, who could it have been? I knew it was just some generic band from the 50s or 60s. And I had no idea that it was one of the most influential groups of all time that 
It's the dream song. It's all I have to do is dream. Mm-hmm. Dream, 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 dream. Dream, dream, dream. Have you ever had a dream where you could in you and you could where you could Bless you for saying that. <laughs> okay, anyway. All all I have to do is dream. So this is this must have been the early Yes, um, this this was in the fifties. This was again original uh songwriting team, uh Felice and Bordelow. Um this was another number for them. Oh, good. And uh even this is even on uh, Rolling Stone magazine's list of 500 greatest songs at number 141. Wow. That's, so, it's high praise. Mm-hmm. Of all the songs in the world. Yeah, so this what, is what makes it so good, do you think? Because purse and the vocals in the perfectly encapsulate that feeling of a dream. Especially that effect that on the guitar with Chet Atkins, um, man, it's just, it has this, it has a magic to it. There's something you're listening to it. The It's just so well written. It's well arranged. Uh-huh. You could, you could put this in the hands of someone else. I feel like they wouldn't do it quite right. Yeah, I, I get, I get that. I get that now. Because you're right, that guitar effect, you just, you feel very carefree and like, it's just, it's just a blissful state. I don't know, I don't know quite what it's about though. (laughs) But you know, you just, you just feel like you're floating or maybe you're on like a beach and everything's just like hunky-dory, whatever. I, I mean, obviously maybe, maybe the lyrics are nothing like that though yeah i mean it's it's pretty much straightforward you know I, all i do is dream about you but i uh, just i love that line of the only trouble is gee whiz i'm dreaming my life away it's it's one of those things that like you see it on paper and it's it's so corny but yeah, yeah, yeah knowing from the time that it comes from and the way that it's uh, the way that it's executed, mm-hmm. it just it, it makes it so charming, and have just this this great almost innocence to it. Yeah, that's true. It's like all I do is dream about you, uh, dream, mm-hmm. dream, and it's kind of like. It is like one of those very cliched old love songs where like nothing is wrong and ah, I want to hold your hand. Ah, you know, whereas like that, those types of songs have become more complicated now. Mm hmm. And you can't just write a simple love song. that. I mean, that that that's right in the middle of that, I guess. That's really kind of on the leading edge of some of those stuff, because this is before the Beatles. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it just that's kind of, yeah, kind of there's, front running the whole thing. There's a there's there's not really a better way to explain. It has magic to it. There are there is such a thing as magic in music, where it's, there's there's 
definable quality about it that when you listen to it, you're just like, everything is more than the sum of its parts. Yes. And that's like impossible to replicate. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could, you could do, you could completely retake the guitars, play it exactly the same, but sometimes it's just not, it's sometimes it's just that one take and just maybe the chorus just works so well with the, the, different microseconds that the strings were played here or whatever mm-hmm. and you and it turns into something that's just like immaterial and you can't explain it and it's, it's all it's all over it's all over music and we talk about that a lot in a lot of our episodes and some of those greatest songs that it's just like yeah this is kind of a cliche moment but they just do it so well you just can't deny that this is good yeah, you can maybe pick it apart and analyze it and do all the charts and the conspiracy theory style analysis that we like to do sometimes. But at the end of the day, you know, a good song is a good song. I think that's this is it. I mean, there's not a lot to pick apart here, and yet it still stands as yeah. I mean, Rolling Stones recognizes it. This is one of the top 500 songs of all time. Lightning in a bottle. There really is. Lightning Express. <laughs> nice. It was really forced. It was really unlike, unlike the mood of that song. That pun was very forced. Anyway, <laughs> so this is uh, this is fifty eight because this is their first, I guess, full album. Yeah. Uh, so this is uh, this is off of songs that our daddy taught us, and. It's a shame that they didn't do this more. The fact that this album tanked so hard, because this album didn't even chart. And so I think that this this really hurt their uh, confidence. I think that it, uh, like, the fact that doing this did not, uh, didn't, turn into a success was kind of like oh i guess we can't do folk music because people won't buy this Mm. and i think it's a real shame because i think that this genre and this style of songwriting is perfect for their voice yeah no for real no yeah it's there that's the way that they harmonize with each other and just that gentle, soothing aspect to their voice lends itself so well for this uh, for this type of like old timey storytelling. Yeah, and they're able to convey the expression in very uh, like it's not overly wrought. Like you don't ever feel like they're trying to emote. Like they're not trying to like pull at your heartstrings. They're just singing it very plainly and very honestly. And that's where almost like secondhand emotion really bleeds through. Hmm. Secondhand emotion. Just like Tina Turner said. Another another call to another artist. Yet yet another artist in this whole episode. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, I mean, this is their this is their longest that we have represented here. Yeah, and honestly, this is the one album of theirs that like breaks all those rules of the of the shorter songs. Like a lot of the songs on this album are three to four minutes. So is that because of the different songwriting? I mean, is are these songs actually songs that they played with their dad? Yes, these are all songs that they learned in their youth and was part of that uh, that repertoire as being like country artists. Because these are all traditional folk songs. All the songs on this album. That's cool. That's actually cool. It's actually a really... It's a really soothing album to listen to. Hmm. Pe- people weren't into the uh, into the soothing music, I guess. Well, just folk music in general was very out of vogue at that point because it was big in the '40s and then it got overplayed, and then in the '50s, pretty much no one cared about folk music and didn't until Bob Dylan came around in the early '60s. So. I don't know if they, if the Everleys were like wanting to try and bring it back or if they were just like, screw it. This is just what we like. This is what we grew up on. We want to do it. Either way, they're playing to their strengths. I would say that besides Two Yanks in England, this is probably their best album. Wow. But they're two like almost polar opposite different albums. Yeah, I was about to say. I mean, because Two Yanks is like is like a like a great '60s rock and roll record, and and Songs Our Daddy Taught Us is as stripped down and as bare of an album as you could possibly imagine. And it's weird because it's like every song and its bare ingredients sounds exactly the same. It's literally just them singing slowly with an acoustic guitar, and yet. Every song in of itself is fascinating. I think part of it is because the lyrics tell such great stories. Hmm. So, well, then let's get to that. What is the story that's being told here? Uh, Did you catch on the story as you listened to it or were you just... I tried to, but I'm not the best lyric interpreter. (laughs) And also, I don't want to get it wrong. So it's about a it's about a young boy that is trying to get home to see his mother before she dies, mm-hmm. and he's he's has to take the train in order to get there in time because the message he got was that uh, she's expected to die at any moment and may not live through the day. Oh. And so he's on the train, but he does not have enough money to pay for his ticket. Uh, I have no ticket, the boy then replied, but I'll pay you back someday. Then I'll, and the conductor says, then I'll put you off at the next stop we make. But he stopped when he heard the boy say, and it goes into the chorus from there. Please, Mr. Conductor, don't put me off this train. The best friend I have in this world, sir, is waiting for me in pain, expecting to die at any moment, sir, and may not live through the day. I want to reach home and kiss mother goodbye before God takes her away. And Does he have to pay him back? I mean, that's the real question. So what happens is that um, the rest of the passengers in the train hear this story, and they all pitch in to pay for his ticket. Oh! 
that's the good ending. Oh, yeah. that's great. That's good. And so we don't know if he gets back in time. All we know is that it's pretty much the moral of the story being it's a it's a child in need, you know, going through something that seems to be emotionally agonizing. And he just needs a break from the kindness of strangers to get him to see his mother one last time. And sure enough, society showed that they very much were good people. Good. That's good. That's nice. Because no one dies that we know of. Yeah. I mean, it very well could be that, you know. He didn't even make it in time. He doesn't make it in time. But he knew for sure he wouldn't make it in time if he wasn't able to take the train all the way. Hmm. But again, there's no, there's no like intensity, rising emotion, falling emotion in their voices. They, it's like they let the words themselves convey the emotion, and mm-hmm. they just, I, I literally don't know how they do it because on paper this should be boring, and right. yet it isn't. Yeah, no, that's and a good you point. feel that way the whole album. weird that is so weird that's like a crime in modern music it's almost like a paradox yeah to, i don't i don't know how the they did it follow the emotion it works it works and i i i knew that with this episode i wasn't gonna find like this big like epic cathartic song and so i was just like let's just i need to find something that just is so simple and so plaintive that in a way that almost wraps up everything that has been Mm -hmm. said Mm -hmm. yeah and it works it works really well as just the music kind of is relaxing Mm -hmm. if you kind of put if you kind of put away the the sappy i don't want to say sappy in a bad way lyrics um it's kind of just it's just relaxing music yeah a very different have you ever loved somebody wake up little Susie being a little bit more up tempo we've kind of come full circle and we've showed we have shown the whole the whole spectrum of what the Everly Brothers can do yes I'm 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 already getting into final thoughts mode I can hear myself yeah so (laughs) we'll take that as a cue to take another break when we come back, we're going to talk, uh, well, we're not going to talk, we're going to give our final thoughts about the Everly Brothers. Blah, 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 blah. So, <laughs> stay tuned. We will be right back. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We just got finished talking about the Everly Brothers and the six songs that we picked for this episode. Just as a recap, those songs were Bye Bye Love, Have You Ever Loved Somebody, Wake Up Little Susie. Oh, gosh, what was the fourth one? Crying in the Rain. Crying in the Rain, All I Have to Do is Dream, and Lightning Express. The way that you can go listen to these songs is there's a link in the description of the episode. It'll take you to a Spotify playlist where you can listen to not just these songs, but all the songs from our previous episodes as well. Highly recommend. Please check these songs out. 
especially if you are listening to this and you're like, I have no idea who the Everly Brothers are. All the talking in the world will not convince you. You just got to go hear the songs. So hopefully your interest has been piqued, but now it's time to talk about we're both in the same boat. I probably knew a fraction more, at least knowing that they existed and that they were important. Yeah. (laughs) But I would say that we both were at five. So now, Grant, where do you stand on the Everleys? Definitely a six. Definitely six. Strong six. I mean, it's good to, um, in a different way from last episode, like I talked about last episode, oh, it's good to go back to, you know, the music that you love and whatever. Go back to your roots and things. And, you know, Dream Theater being a, being a band that really influenced me and, and, and things. But this is, this is music that influenced music. This influenced everybody. I mean, our our entire you know perspective of of music has changed because the Everly Brothers existed to help bring about the Beatles, which helped to bring about everything which we know. And that is such a weird, weird perspective because I had no idea who they were before this episode. Absolutely no idea. So that was just kind of that was just a little bit eye opening. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, man, I really liked Have You Ever Loved Somebody. I really did. I mean, Bye Bye Love is great. All I Have to Do Is Dream is great. But Have You Ever Loved Somebody? It's just that mod sound. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, sometimes you got an itch for the mod sound. So maybe I just need to maybe we need to listen to Two Yanks in England at some point. And, I would you know, recommend so- it. It's only 30 minutes of music, so if it sucks, it'll end pretty quick. But you you speak very highly of it, and the little taste that we got was pretty good. So that'll be that'll be a fun experience to go check out. So definitely definitely at a six. I understand their importance. I appreciate the fact that they exist. Thank you for writing vocal harmonies, guys. Because <laughs> vocal harmonies are some very, very cool things to listen to. And you get to them tight vocal harmonies in the 80s and the 90s and stuff. The fact that it began here is quite mind-blowing and, and pretty cool. So anyway, that's that's kind of less of a final thought that I normally give. But that's what I'm thinking. So Lucas, your final thought. Um. So... For me, it was very fascinating to to really hear the origin of what I uh, the origin of a band that I said in my in our last episode is now a a genuine half pillar, the Beatles. To to hear really the beginning of the Beatles through the Everlys, it made me love and appreciate them so much, and at the same time, kind of lament that you know. Yes, they they are now fondly remembered and had some great songs, but they I wish they would have been bigger. I wish that they would have had the same public knowledge today that some of these older other older bands got. Um, but it was it was a really cool experience, not only to 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 get another piece of the puzzle. This this kind of foggy area for me which is the 60s 
It's something that I feel I still don't completely understand, but I want to continue to get a fir- firmer grip on. And um, I would say, I would say that I, I'm at a seven because there were a couple of their albums in particular that I was just like, I would listen to this again. And there's still more to their, disc- their discography that I haven't even gotten to yet. I just, I just did what I had time for this time. Mm-hmm. And I would say that my favorite song was All I Have to Do is Dream. I just think that that, that song just has the secret sauce. <laughs> yeah. Now, Harry, my five-year-old son, he loved Wake Up Little Susie. Because he thought that song was really silly. <laughs> kind of is. Yeah. And uh, my wife, Callie, had told me that um, when she was a kid that her mom woke her up every morning by singing Wake Up Little Susie. And so when I showed her these songs, she was just like, I did not know that that's where that comes from. Now, that's a That's a real interesting tie in right there. Mm hmm. This is this episode has kind of been a very a very Van Gogh situation where it's like we historians look back on Vincent Van Gogh and be like, oh, he's like such a great master and like master of color and and master of of artistry and whatever. And history looks very fondly upon him. I mean, he's a Doctor Who character, right? There's a whole episode about him. But in his time, you know, he wasn't regarded as being necessarily that great. I mean, the Everly Brothers, obviously, they had their fame. They actually sold singles and sold their work, unlike Van Gogh. But history has, like, promoted their work so much more than happened in their time. And so this has been kind of a, kind of a study in the unsung heroes. And I, I wonder if there are artists that are lesser known now that in 20, 25 years, we will look back and be like, wow, they were such a big, such a big influence. I hope so. I hope so too. Yeah. Maybe ground zero will be this podcast episode. (laughs) Maybe, maybe that's a really big capital letters. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. Uh, If you enjoy what you are hearing, please hit that subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday at midnight. Uh, You're going to want to check it out because next week we're jumping back into the 80s. I feel like it's been a while since we've had a good bonafide 80s episode. Yeah, it has been a little while. Uh, I mean, we're going into 80s pop, which is, you know, that's that's one of my fun places. (laughs) Yeah. So make sure that you check that out next week. Um, We have two links in the description of our episodes. The first one goes to our Spotify playlist. And the other one goes to our Patreon page where you can get access to episodes early as well as get access to our special segment, the Bad Music Podcast, where we talk about an artist's six worst songs. We're going to talk about the Everly Six Worst. And that's going to be actually probably a pretty funny uh, discussion. So you're going to make sure, want to make sure you don't miss that. And um, 
Make sure that you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. It's the best way to let us know what artists you want us to talk about next. In fact, um, that's what we're going to be doing next week is talking about an artist that you guys have asked us to do. So uh, make sure that you tune in uh, and that you message us and follow us and just let us know what you think of the podcast in general. We love to hear your guys' feedback. We love to connect with you guys. It helps us to feel like you know we're all on the same team here and uh, make sure that you leave us a review and we'll, we, we'll see blah, 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 blah. we'll see you next time I'm Lucas I'm Grant keep on listening to good music good music